Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight. We are your hosts, retired Ambassador Harry K. Thomas. And retired Army Chief Alex Morales. Hey, Harry, who do we have the privilege to have today with us? We have my good friend, the first international vice president of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, Army National Guard officer, man, president, CEO, former mayor, an immigrant from St. Thomas, where I spent a lot of time down in the state, Thomas, but that'll be a talk for another day. So welcome, <laughs> Chris. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Chris, thank you for taking the time. I'm assuming you're a rum drinker, right? Because I'm from the island, too. So you... Let me just tell you, you just start off right there. That's absolutely right. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know it. Oh, well. You know it. All right. Well, again, thank you for taking the time and for, you know, doing our podcast with up. So let's let's go right away to say what was like moving from San Thomas to the mainland, sir? Uh, it was a shock. <laughs> it was a shock. Uh, you know, as a kid growing up in St. Thomas, um, uh, you know, the only time I ever saw people who didn't look like me was when they got off the boat uh, to come and visit. Uh, folks would come on the cruise ships, and that's when you would see folks from different races. You know, one of the great things, you know, growing up in St. Thomas, uh, my perspective was everyone who was in charge looked like me, the governor, the senators, the legislature. So uh, it was it was a it was an amazing uh, experience. So when I came to the states and uh, we moved to North Carolina, I would meet some folks, and of course, that's when I that was actually when I first got introduced to you know racism and all you know people were saying things like oh you can't say this. And I'm like why? I was like why can I say this? You know we can say anything we want. So <laughs> I've been a, I've been a rebel ever since I moved here when I was 10 years old. Wow, wow, wow. And actually, we kind of went ahead right away, but do you mind talking a little bit about yourself and introduce you, you know? Oh, yeah, man, sure. You know, I'm, as I said, I'm born in St. Thomas, um, you know, son of a single mom. My grandmother actually raised me. Um, my mom wanted to come back to the States and, and enjoy life, and my grandmother was like, well, you can't, you can't leave with this one. So I basically ended up being her ninth child. And uh, but we moved to the States uh, when I was a kid. Her youngest son, my uncle Jeff, uh, was um, he was uh, stationed a young sergeant at Fort Bragg. Cool. And um, and he convinced my grandmother to uh, to come to the States saying that, you know, we want to give an opportunity to to Chris. Uh, that was the reason why we left the, uh, why we left the Virgin Islands. And so I was a high school track and field runner, all American. Uh, Went to East Carolina University undergrad. Uh, then I enlisted into the Army uh, initially. Uh, then I went to OCS. Uh, saw deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, what was your MOS? I was a, uh, well, when I first joined, I was a 74 Bravo, okay. uh, which is a computer guy. And yeah, yeah. Uh, then, I became, then I became a 25 Alpha, which is a uh, signal officer. Okay. And uh, so that's what I did until... Um, uh, I was tired of folks trying to take me out of the game. And, uh, you know, once I had the opportunity, I had the privilege to command the 3rd Special Forces Signal Detachment, 
but then I decided one day I woke up, I said, you know, I want to do something different. So I got out of the military, worked on Capitol Hill for a hot second with Congressman John Lewis, and I went to law school after law oh, wow. school. Uh, while I was in law school, I joined the Virginia National Guard because I realized I missed being in the uniform, uh, and I was a broke again, so I was like, I need grocery money. <laughs> and uh, and uh, after the law school, I moved back home to Spring Lake, ran for mayor. Uh, after serving three terms, I woke up one day and said, I want to do some. I want to go back and do some things for the country. So I uh, got an opportunity to come and work at NGB in the Pentagon and working on some cyber things, and what brought me here and. Then one day I woke up and said, you know what? I want to start my own company. And uh, the rest is history, man. So that's that's how I live my life. Wow, that was fantastic. Um, can you expand a little bit more, Chris, on how you became involved in politics? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. So at East Carolina University, I met a, an amazing woman by the name of Congresswoman Eva Clayton. Uh, Eva Clayton was the first African-American woman elected to Congress from North Carolina, uh, she represented the eastern part of the state, which was, um, you know, very rural, very poor. And it was at that time that I realized that there were still people, and this is in the mid-90s, that still uh, was using outhouses and uh, didn't have access to running water. And, and uh, it was through her example that I learned the importance of representation. And so she would say to me, you know, you, that there has to be a person with a voice because everyone doesn't get an opportunity to speak. And I just always remember that. And, um, and something inside of me just unlocked and I just got rocked up into the process and understood the importance of being a voice for people. So I ended up becoming a voice for the students at East Carolina University, uh, especially the students of color. I founded the NAACP chapter there, the Black Student Union. Um, you know, I was very engaged with the fraternity, of course, got involved with Phi Beta Sigma. And um, uh, and then after that, it just seemed like it was just always a life of politics after that, whether it was helping people get elected. Um, I didn't think I was ever going to run for office. When I first met John Lewis, John Lewis said to me, young brother, <laughs> you are going to run for office one day. And I looked at him and I said, I am not going to run for office. He said, yes, you will. And when you do, I will be there. And believe it or not, uh, wow. probably about Eight years later, I ended up running for mayor, and he came and he campaigned for me, uh, and it was just amazing. It was amazing, and uh, and ever since then, I've just you know been a part of the process in some kind of way, either helping people get elected, or me being involved in the process myself. What what was that experience with John Lewis? Because I mean, uh, even myself, who's I'm a Hispanic, you know, you you I know you cannot tell by my accent, but uh, I'm Hispanic, <laughs> <laughs> but. But, uh, I mean, even myself, I know the legacy that John Lewis created for African-American, blacks, and even minority to us oh, as absolutely. well. What, what, what was that experience? I mean, I'm curious. Oh, man, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was, um, uh, when I first met Congressman Lewis, I, you know, I didn't know, uh, you know, I, I was embarrassed to say that I, you know, I kind of had read about him, but I didn't really, you know. No. I didn't really know. Uh, and I ended up staffing him because, you know, he's a member of Phi Beta Sigma. And uh, they said, Chris, you're going to staff the VIP that's coming to this conference. This was a conclave in Memphis, Tennessee in 2003. And I was like, OK, so who's the guy? And he was like, he was like John Lewis. And I was like, who? And they were like, what? You don't know who John Lewis is. And I said, well, let me do some research real quick. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, 
the guy with the backpack. <laughs> oh, yeah. My goodness. And um, and we just we we hit it off, man. We hit it off, and and we stayed in touch. Uh, we stayed in touch from 2003 until you know a few weeks before he passed away. Uh, you know, just was again in a just. Uh, one of the things I learned from John and, and being with him, uh, even when I had the opportunity to work in his office on the Hill, um, he taught me the, the importance of humility. Um, no matter how many gifts that we have, um, those gifts are not for you. They are literally for the world. And you have a responsibility to level the playing field for everybody. Um, if you have those gifts and that's what you're, you know, your assignment on this, on this, on this, on this little piece of rock that he calls it um, and our responsibility to make it better. And, and I really took to heart to that. And so I never believed in my hype. I just realized that God gave me some special skills. I had a responsibility to use these skills to, to make life better for those who don't have the capacity to do it. Um, and you do it for as long as you can, as much as you can for as long as you can. And, um, and that, that's what I, that's the lesson I got from him. And I will take that until, uh, you know, I don't have breath in my body. So grateful to him for that. That is fantastic. Please tell us about the challenges you face though, as mayor of Spring Lake, especially as such a young person. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, it's the young person part, right? I mean, uh, they were not pleased that a 34 year old at the time, you know, was taking the helm of the city. Um, after um, defeating a 31-year incumbent, oh uh, wow, who had been on city council for 21 years and had been and, had, and then had served as mayor for 10, um, and so it was uh, it was a shock for some, and uh, so kind of getting over that barrier. But once you know, once they realized, uh, or the people, I should say, the people, the community realized that. Uh, that I brought a level of competence and energy to the office. It became, uh, it, it just became a great experience. But I tell you, man, some of the challenges that we had was, as always, um, you know, cleaning up the mess of passive instructions. <laughs> and, you know, we had a huge financial, you know, scandal that had, that had, you know, that had been brewing long before I got there. And, um, and it took our administration to kind of clean it up. Um, I was very transparent with the community. I was transparent with the press. Um, didn't try to cover things up and, um, you know, and we fixed it, you know, it, you know, we was under investigation from the state and, uh, you know, of course, when the initial, when the, when the headline comes out, you know, Spring Lake, uh, mis misappropriates half a million dollars, you know, <laughs> city government, you know, and, uh, uh, but I was, I put together a solid team. I, the city manager that I hired was the former, um, garrison commander of Fort Bragg. And, oh. uh, so, you know, I started hiring, you know, all these military folks that I knew was, you know, dress right, dress squared away. And we just went through and, and when it all was said and done, it was like $14,000 that had been misappropriated. And, you know, those individuals ended up, um, um, you know, paying that back and, uh, and some got terminated, uh, some resigned, you know, it was, you know, so it was just, it was, first of all, just widespread, and then it ended up being like 14,000 bucks. And even though that's still the citizens of dollars, and I was, uh, we was very thorough in addressing it and, um, and making sure that, you know, we took care of it. So, but that was a tough, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. That one dragged out for a long time. Wow. Wow. 
That's incredible. Do you do you think that the military background allows you to face those challenges, even though you're facing something that you haven't seen or a new environment, I should say, that I haven't seen? And that confidence in leadership that you have acquired in the military help you to address those issues in a in a way that allow you to, to see? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you think about uh, the skills that we receive as uh, as government, as government folks. Right. Even even if you're not in the military, when you serve in the government um, every day, you're getting something across your desk. That's that's a new challenge. You know, when you when you choose to serve people, there is going to be challenges. But I will tell you, uh, the military gave me a unique set of skills. You know, hey, I've I've been dropped in the middle of nowhere around the globe and it was like, Hey, we need to speak all the way back to the Pentagon, figure it out, (laughs) you know? So been there, done that. And so, um, you know, coming into that experience, understanding the fact that it's always, you know, when you talk about managing people, managing resources, uh, it requires a level of, of engagement and, 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 you know, these, you know, government is very, is very sophisticated, you know, whether people, you know, a lot of rules, regulations, policies, uh, things that you got to follow and, and uh, the military, that's all the military is. And uh, so it, it did, the opportunity prepared me for it. And, um, and I was grateful for that experience that brought, you know, allowed me to serve. And then the great thing about Spring Lake, you know, it's a, it's a huge military town, you know, two gates to Fort Bragg open up into my city and half of Fort Bragg is annexed into the city. So, you know, so half, most of the citizens on Fort Bragg was my citizen. So it was, uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting experience. Well, I want to ask two questions. One, um, about what do you think about Lloyd Austin being appointed Secretary of Defense, as well as your, then tell us a little bit about your work as, uh, with diversity and inclusion in your company. Sure. So um, number one, I'm excited. Uh, let me just say that uh, just because... Um, you know, I, General Austin was in leadership during my time period when I was on active duty. Uh, he was someone that as a young officer that you just looked up to, um, just inspired by uh, the barriers that he was breaking, number one. Um, he was always, a, you know, he was a great example of uh, it was good to see somebody that looked like me in positions of influence and leadership that that made me know that, hey, you know, I too could get there. I too can make it there. You know, representation is important whether people want to admit it or not. Um, and seeing him um, and the things that he did, he was very, he was a very solid leader um, um, and and understood the mission and uh, and took care of soldiers, right? And then he mentored so many officers below him uh, that is still to this day being impacted in the military. So uh, I'm excited about it. I think that, you know, he's he's going to bring, I mean, he understands at the end of the day, even though the Department of Defense is a huge mammoth of an organization, um, uh, at the very core of what the Department of Defense does is, is that it trains its nation's soldiers uh, and prepares them for conflicts and making sure that we um, have what we need in order to protect the interests of America around the world. Um, but he understands at the very tip of that are soldiers. And so I think that him being someone who's wore the uniform, that understand what, it, you know, the, all the conflicts that we've been dealing with around the world, and not only just that, but what is coming, um, I think that he gets it. And I think that he's going to do well in that regard. And, um, my, you know, when I decided to start my company, um, Capital Impact Group, 
uh, focusing on diversity and inclusion. You know, it took me some time to kind of really think through what it is I wanted to do as an entrepreneur. Um, and I had to say, you know, take some time, sit down, think about me and say, you know, what is it that I'm really passionate about? Um, and I realized, man, that it is about opening up, opening up doors, not only, not only for people of color, um, but opening up doors for just making sure that the, that the playing field is level for everybody. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of folks that come from different backgrounds that don't get opportunities. And not all of them are black, not all of them are brown. Some of them are white. Uh, that come from rural America, who's not exposed, who don't understand, um, you know, don't understand uh, the importance of cultures and, and different and different capacities. And so, having a chance to educate people on who I am, on the cult, on different cultures, and why you have to um, make sure that you create space for that understanding, it transforms your it transforms your organization when you have people sitting in a room and saying, you know what. We can't do that because, you know, not because we may offend uh, a group of people, uh, but because it's just not right. Because we get it, because we understand. Um, and when you, when you get to that level of understanding as a leader, then your organization is transformative. And, and I love being a part of having that conversation, doing those assessments, shining light on, on, on some of those um, uh, you know, characteristics that a person may have or don't have and educating them better. So uh, it's a labor of love, man. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it just gives me a chance to, and, you know, to tell our story as well. Oh, wow. That's great. Can you please tell us, our listener about Five Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated and the charity they do? I don't know if I say it right, but you said it right. You said it right. You said it right. You said it right. Five Beta Single Fraternity Incorporated. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, what could I not say about it? You know, first of all, an amazing organization. We've been around for 106 years. Uh, founded on the campus of Howard University uh, in 1914 by three uh, three uh, scholars uh, that wanted to create an organization that was 100% committed to service to humanity. Um, that's who we are. When you want to get something done in your community, you look for a Sigma man to get it done. That's, 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 that's when you sum it up. And when you think through, when we look through history, the caliber of men who have been a part of our organization, they have, they have been individuals who have always been at the forefront of the movement to level the playing field. Uh, been at the forefront of the movement to make sure that we are taking care of our community. So Five Beta Sigma focuses on, you know, three major areas, which is being a better business, which is economic empowerment. You know, we know that the dollar is important. How do we make sure that we, you know, not only generate the dollar within our community, but how do we make sure that we create generational wealth? Uh, then there's education. You know, you education open up doors. And so scholarship for us is, is critical. Always ever learning. No matter how old you get, you always are learning as a Sigma man. Uh, and last and certainly not least, social action, which is us making sure that we are at the forefront of the issues that are impacting our communities, you know, whether it's civil rights, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, folks not having um, uh, not having opportunities and how do and, and us finding ways to make sure that they do. So, you know, when you have men like. Uh, 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 Dr. Elaine Locke, who's the first African-American Rhodes Scholar 
in American history or George Washington Carver, like the greatest botanist of our time, uh, to James Weldon Johnson, who wrote the Black National Anthem, to Huey P. Newton, who was the leader of the Black Panther Party, to A. Philip Randolph, who was the individual that organized the March on Washington, um, um, to uh, Harold Washington, who was the first African-American mayor of Chicago, uh, to, the, to, to the John Lewis of the world, to, you know, athletes like you know, Emmitt Smith, Sherman Mitchell, you know, just, uh, you know, we, we, we have so many different men, uh, you know, that are doing amazing things and that have done amazing things. And so it's about a legacy of inspiring uh, men to move forward, um, not only their communities, but move themselves forward, uh, but understanding that we have a responsibility uh, for the next generation. So, you know, so when you got folks like, you know, Harry Thomas out there, that is also a great member of Five Eight Sigma, you know, you, you got you to step your game up. You got to step your game up. You know. <laughs> so that's who we are, man. So a lot of the work that we do really quickly, you know, I, I mean, as I stated, but also, you know, one of the things I'm most proud about Five Eight Sigma is that for 70 years, uh, we have had a mentoring program called Sigma Beta Club, where we mentor young boys from ages of eight to 18. And we've been doing it for 70 years. 70s, wow. all before it was before it was popular to mentor black and brown boys in America, Five Eight Sigma was doing it because we understood the importance of that investment. Uh, so, man, we, we feed the homeless. Uh, you know, we take care of our environment. Uh, you know, we address home. Uh, we address uh, food insecurities in our communities, criminal justice reform. I mean, you name it. There's a sigma somewhere in the country or around the world that's that's leading the way. Wow, that was fantastic. So please tell us, uh, transitioning back to the military, what do you think about vets? Uh, how do you encourage vets to either open their own business or join the private sector? Yeah. So, you know, I always tell, I always tell, you know, a lot of my friends who are, who are veterans who want to make that transition, you know, I always say, first of all, know yourself, right? Know yourself. Everybody can't run a business. Let's be clear, you know, um, but those that have the entrepreneurial spirit, absolutely invest in yourself, take the courses that you need, learn about the industry that you're interested in, and then identify the resources that are out there that can help you. Uh, for those who absolutely should not be running their own company, you know, again, know thyself, <laughs> right? Know thyself, but then know what it is that you're interested in, man. There are there are so many things that are out there, so many industries that one can get into that it, that it's not a job, right? That it's your passion, that you love it, you love getting up every day, you love, you know, them paying you, but you know, you could be like, look, I'll pay them to do this work. That's where one wants to get to in their life. And so I always tell veterans, man, make sure that you focus on that. Uh, know what, know yourself first and then know if you should start a company or not or, or if you end then getting into the private sector. Wow. Do you think the private sector really understand the skills that veterans brings? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, well, you know, I know that they try. Let me say this. You know, I know that they do, right? They have these, you know, folks in HR that try to reach out. and uh, But, you know, I think that there's still a lot of education that needs to be done. Um, I think that also, though, I think the vets also do some, some – I think a lot of vets too also have a hard time transitioning. Um, because, you know, you, you know, you, you're, you're used to the rigor, you're used to the structure, and then you get into uh, your workspace and you've knocked out the work. And then, you know, your coworkers are like, whoa, 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 you know, we don't, 
we don't need you to be, you know, you know, finishing up this assignment too quick. You know, we got to draw this out a little bit. And you're kind of like, what in the world? You know, yeah. so I think that there, you know, a lot of different things got to happen. Uh, a lot of education needs to happen in, in that. I think that the private sector is doing a better job of outreaching the, to the vet, veterans community. Because I know that they know that we are, we're committed, we're dedicated, but there's still a little rigidness um, that that's that's hard to break someone who especially has been in for 20 plus years and then bringing them over to the private sector. So a lot more education and training that needs to be done for that transition. Yeah, I think we don't sell ourselves well either. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Go ahead, Harry. Well, our final question, Chris, is, you know, I think a little bit what you were talking about. What, how do you try to get vets to market themselves better? Right. So, you know, I mean, again, the military does a great job of, you know, doing our transition, you know, those transition assistant programs. Uh, but, you know, the reality is, man, that a lot of vets still don't take advantage of them the way that they should. They really don't. Just like you have a lot of college students who don't take advantage of career services on their college campus either, Good right? Point. You know, it's just, you know, you just got to want it. You just got to want to be able to take that time. You know that you're going to retire in a year. You know that you got to put in that, that work. Um, you know, to get prepared for that next for that next chapter of your life. And it requires you putting in that time and, and effort. So, you know, I just think that it has, it's just, you know, those of us that are in positions of influence, you know, we just got to continue, you know, you got to continue to work with those offices and those individuals uh, so that they get the resources that they need. Thank you very much, Brother Ray, for joining us today and making Phi Beta Sigma Incorporated proud once again. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, my brothers. Thank you guys so much again for the opportunity. I look forward to being back again next time. Absolutely. This was a spotlight. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the Spotlight. Hey, welcome back to the Spotlight. I'm retired Ambassador Harry K. Thomas. And I'm Alex Morales, the Chief. Harry, who we got next? Hey, we got my brother, my homie, my frat brother, uh, Keith Perrin, one of the co-founders of the iconic FUBU brand, For Us, By Us, one of the many great people from Hollis. And I hope all of y'all are listening to Christmas in Hollis uh, coming up. Welcome, Chris. Oh, wow. Hey, guys. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you for taking the time, sir. Uh, Keith, please tell us about yourself a little bit. Uh, well, I'm one of the co-founders of Fubu the Collection. Me and my other three partners, Jay, Damon, and Carl Brown, um, we were very successful in bringing Fubu to the forefront uh, in the early '90s, and and God bless him, we're still here almost 30 years later. I'm also the CEO and uh, president of uh, Fubu Radio, which I started uh, back in 2015. Uh, that's like my brainchild, so I'm very proud of that. Um, and we've um, we've done a lot so far with it, and, and looking to do more. Oh wow, wow! How did you start at Fubu? How did it came out? You know the idea. Uh, well, it was Damon's idea. He had a, a you know saw a hat that he loved, and he he wanted to do it, and he had an idea about branding the hat so it would be different than every you know every other hat that was out there because it was basically a sleeve from a shirt. And we used to call it the tie top hat. You just tie it on top of your head <laughs> and draped it down. Um, but there were so many, so many out at the time. So we felt like, hey, how can I make this hat different than the next? And that's when he decided to to put Fubu together and and kind of recruited us to to help him, you know, bring it to life. Um, and, and that's basically how it all started, you know, in a house, small house in in, in Hollis, Queens, and you know we. we he mortgaged the house and 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 got a hundred thousand dollars for for the for the remortgage refinancing rather, and he was able to go ahead and put that together and and you know use that money to actually take us to the next level, but without our knowledge and and, and expertise in that, we only got about six months down the line before that money ran out. <laughs> wow, go ahead, Harry. Oh. That's fantastic. Well, where did you go from that six months? How did you guys survive? Well, what it was, was we we kept starting and stopping. So it wasn't like it was just a, you know, we started this business and it just ran straight through. And, you know, we started and then when we ran out of money, we stopped and tried to figure it out. And that was at a point where, you know, I know Jay came in in the beginning and gave Damon a couple of thousand dollars from an accident that he had. And then from there, we went into, you know, we used that money to get started. That ran out. And then we used all the money that we had saved up and that ran out. So then Damon was like, listen, you know, he talked to his mother, said, I, I want to, you know, I need money. She said, well, take the house, refinance the house, use the money to, to, to get started. When you make the money back, put it back in the house. That never happened because, you know, as I said, when we started, 
we didn't have a lot of knowledge on what we were doing in this field. So everything was trial and error. So we were making a lot of mistakes that, you know, unfortunately we had, you know, experience. We wouldn't have made those mistakes and spent all that money, but you know, you live and you live and you learn, you know? Wow. Hey, that's the best lesson life, right? Life lessons are the best lessons. huh? Always, always. So tell us about FUBU radio, your baby. Uh, man, you know, um, With the brand, you know, early 2000s, you know, we, we felt like the brand was going to somehow die out and we weren't going to be as uh, prevalent in the market anymore. Um, but we gave it one more one more shot and tried to relaunch it uh, in 2008. Um, didn't put a lot of effort into it, didn't do it the way we, we did it the first time, so it didn't really get off the ground. And then around that time, Damon had uh, had... Uh, talk to the Shark Tank people and they were putting the contract together with him to, to, to move in that direction. And I know Jay was actually working on our, our television network and Carl was working on building some football hotels. And we were all kind of oh wow getting into getting into different arenas without, you know, without business and not so much clothing anymore. You know, that kind of was like a, a pastime for us. So I was trying to figure out my lane and what I can do. And I had a, I had a friend of mine who came to me and was like, listen, can we, we need to do radio. And I'm like, brother, I have no time to sit down and do radio. I, I, I <laughs> you know, what is it going to take? You know, you need an office, you need equipment. Like what, I don't have any knowledge at, in, in this field. So how am I going to start a radio station? So he had about 15 years of, of experience. So he came to me and said, listen, This is what we need. This is what it's going to take, blah, blah, blah. So after about a year trying to just, you know, get me to get, to get on his side, I <laughs> say, you know what? We can't put it off until things are ready. Let's just start and then we'll figure it out on the fly. So then we just jumped into it and, and wound up putting this radio station together. And, you know, the first year and a half was like a beta test, but it was it was a uh, It was a great learning process for me to get my feet wet. I knew what I wanted to hear and I knew, you know, what I was listening to on these other stations that was turning me off. So I tried to to be that in between of, you know, what I wanted to hear and what not to play that they were that they were doing, what not to do the things that they were doing. So basically we um we started this uh old school hip hop because the 90s was was our era and we felt that um It was a time where everybody was kind of starting off and, 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 and making a name for themselves. And, you know, it was a time that we was in the clubs and we was doing our thing and, and we didn't hear this music anymore on, on, on air. So it was like, you know, it's cool that we playing music for the last few years, but we can't forget about this music here. So I wanted to concentrate in that golden era And, and and I just that's where we stuck to and it's been doing well for us. And we've you know, we wind up being on two of the biggest platforms out there today, which is iHeartRadio and um and radio.com. So, you know, we on Spotify, we on Apple Apple Radio, tune in, you know, so you can get us anywhere, but I prefer you get us on the FUBU app. Fubu Radio. <laughs> I'm promoting everybody else, but I prefer you get us on the Fubu Radio app because that's the app that we put out, and um, you know it, it's doing pretty well. You know we have a great team. We're just, we're hosting Super Bowl this uh, coming February, um, so we're doing some things out there. So you know things are you know even with this this bad year of of COVID, 
you know, things have been looking up. Awesome. Well, that's great because we're in Tampa. So yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'll be there. I'll be there shortly. <laughs> You're looking forward to seeing you down here in Tampa, my brother. So tell us a little bit about celebrity integration. Uh, celebrity integration. That's what I do for uh, Shark, the Shark Group. Um, I pretty much take the products that they have, you know, because Damon works with so many different different brands. Um, you know. It can be, you know, Bubba's ribs or whatever it is that he's working with or Bomba socks or whatever. And um, I kind of do the same thing I've been doing with with FUBU all these years, which is product placement. It's, it's, to me, it's just another uh, uh, word for product placement and okay. just getting in on the different celebrities and, and people who might not be familiar with the product and, and just getting them, you know, familiar with the product. And, you know, so... It can be whatever it is that comes through the pipeline. I'll figure out a celebrity who I think will work well with it, and, and I'll send it out to them and make sure they, it's in their hands. Oh, wow. That's smart. Yeah. You just taught me something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it was, that was one of my main jobs at, 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 the, uh, at FUBU, you know, clothing, doing the uh, product placement, putting it in videos, putting it in movies, putting it on TV shows, putting it in commercials, you know, dealing with – you know, different directors who who would call for it and, you know, and even celebrities and, you know, they weren't, we didn't have influences. We didn't call them influences back then, but, you know, the people who were movers and shakers, as we called them back then, were the people who I got the product in the right hands to. Yeah, I still remember LL wearing FUBU. So it works because, I mean, a, a Puerto Rican from the island remember LL wearing FUBU. So uh, he, was, he, was, he was a big part of what we were doing and still, you know, to this day, we're still cool. Uh, we talk, you know, we'll, we'll chop it up every now and then, but he's actually just, you know, just a great business person. Um, when he says he's going to do something for you, he has you a hundred percent and he, he took us to the next level. Awesome. I think he doesn't know, realize that, uh, how many groups are from Queens, you know, that run DMC. Oh, no, he knows. He knows. He's a, Hollis, from Hollis. Yeah, no, he's a historian, so L knows. Like, he, he <laughs> even the way he talks, he still has that 19, <laughs> yo, B, yo, B. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? B, don't, don't stop, B. Like, you know, he still has that. So when I hear him talk sometimes, I just laugh because I've been hearing him talk like that for years. That's cool. That's cool. What advice you have for startup business? Um, the advice I have for startup businesses was, um, I always, when I go out and I speak to different, you know, people or companies, I always tell them to do your research. You know, um, even in a time like this with COVID, you know, these are when this this time is when the millionaires are made. You know when people are thinking about things that other people are not thinking about. And, you know, so often we get to a point where we kind of want to latch on to what someone else is doing and kind of, Oh, you know, Hey, he's doing a radio show. I want to do a radio show too. No, he's doing, if he's doing a radio show, maybe you do a podcast, like, you know, find your own lane and, and, and get in that lane. Um, and then I feel like a lot of, sometimes a lot of small businesses don't do their homework and, and their research, you know, to find their lane, but getting in that lane and, and staying in that lane is something that's hard to do because, 
you know, you might be in that lane by yourself. And sometimes people feel like if nobody else is over here, they're in the wrong lane. It's no, if you feel you're in the right lane, stay in that lane, do what you got to do and make sure you get to that next level. Um, but doing your research and, and, and planning it out properly is, is what, you know, what works, you know, because a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people don't, don't do that. You know, they come up with these great ideas and then they come to you and say, Hey, I got this great idea and all I need is money and capital. And, you know, (laughs) in today's world, you know, you have social media, you have, you know, you have all these outlets that you can utilize to get your business to the next level. You know, even you guys are doing podcasts and things of that nature. You know, you're, you're utilizing these tools to, to create content. So content is key. So you have to make sure that you're covered all the way across the board. And um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of like where I, where I stand with that. Keith, you mentored a lot of aspiring business persons. You know, how do you, how do you help, how do you help aspiring business people that you mentor? With me, you know, what I do is I, I, I really talk to them and, and try to figure out what they're doing. Um, what roads they're going down, if there's anything similar to the same same roads that I went down, if it's any knowledge that I know that I can give to them. Um, I don't really, I'm not one of those, you know, I'm charging you a thousand dollars to mentor you. I don't do that. I I don't, you know, if I feel that you're, you're doing something that's positive and, and you're just trying to get to the next level, you know, I will give you some of my time. I think what happens with people is, you know, once you kind of give them a couple of jewels, they want the whole, you know, they want the whole <laughs> story. You know? yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I just don't have, sometimes I don't have the time to sit there and talk to, you know, two, 300 different people about trying to get their business up if I'm not talking to them in one time in the room. But, um, but I do, I do give them whatever advice that I feel that, you know, some things that I've been through that I know um, to kind of help them dodge the mistakes that I made and, and the money that I wasted uh, and we've wasted rather um, putting this brand together and, um, you know, just, just, you know, give them what I feel that they would need to get to the next level. Uh, well, I hear you because I'm a small business owner too. This is our probably 27, 20, 2018 is when we really start doing stuff seriously. And, it's been tough. It's been fun, but it's been tough. Like you say, you learn try by run and all that stuff. And one of my biggest pet peeves is, is my next question to you. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard for small business to get access to capital? Um, it's, you know, that can range in, in a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, a lot of times we're not set up to get capital, you know, um, you know, your business is, is not on Dun & Bradstreet. You're not doing the right things. You're not doing the right that's things to, to build your credit up, you know what I'm saying, before you, you jump into that's the And this is one of the, and But, you know, this all goes back to... to Your research talking about, right? Yeah, because, you know, these are the questions that you were asked. It's, okay, I want to start a business. Okay, next question should be, where's the money going to come from to start this business? You know, most people say, oh, well, you know, this guy's giving away money over here or that. I can go there. And I go, that's the <laughs> point of the future. You know, you sitting down and, and really mapping this thing out in a way that that is going to be beneficial to you. Um, but, you know, developing, you know, building your credit up, 
and getting to a point so that when you need it, you, you know, you, you, you're able to go out and, and, and get it. Now, you may not always get it. We was turned down 27 times before we were able to get a deal. So, oh, wow. If we were, if we were, you know, uh, people who were discouraged, we probably would quit after the third or fourth time. But we just knew we had something and we can get somebody to listen to us, you know, and we were going to keep going and keep going and keep going until somebody listened to us. But um, it's it's just having all your your ducks in a row, you know, and um, when you go to the banks, you have to understand, see, the show is this much, this big. The business part of it, of any business is so big. You know, there's there's lawyers involved. There's different things involved that you you have to prepare for. And if you don't prepare for it, you know, you're going to cross that road and you're going to be standing there with your, you know, with your hand out. Like, how do I how do I get there? You know, so um, but for the most part, it's it's just learning how to how to make sure you have all your ducks in a row. Yeah, I. I learned the hard way not to depend on bank and trying to do it a hard way and kind of like go to bank when I don't need it. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I learned now. And Harry and I has that bad experience, you know, landing a big contract and not, not being able to financial your own money. You know what I'm saying? Listen, and your own business. <laughs> listen, I give you, I give you a, a story, a great story. Um, I was actually talking to somebody else yesterday about, you know, when we first got in this business, we wanted to be in stores like Macy's and all these big department stores. We didn't understand the business behind that because when you're in a mom and pop store, yeah, you can sell the mom and pop store a thousand dollars worth of clothes. They'll take that. They'll sell it. They'll make their money. They may call you back. They may not. But when you step up into Macy's, it's a whole different realm. It's, it's, Hey, we want to put you in 30 doors. Now you're like, wow, 30 doors. Oh, man. Are you going to- <laughs> then when they say they want to put you in 30 doors, they say, hey, we want to buy $5,000 worth of clothes for each door. Now you're like, whoa, how do I manufacture 30, you know what I mean? Times 5,000. Yeah. So now you, you have a whole, a whole other problem because now you're running into the finance problem. But get this. They operate a little different. They do chargebacks. They um, require you to build real estate. So now real estate, you know how you go in the store and you see all the clothes on a nice fixture uh-huh. and all that? You have to buy all of those fixtures for those 30 doors. Oh, wow. Those fixtures cost $1,000 <laughs> for that one store. Now you have $30,000 in a hole just for real estate and building those fixtures has nothing to do with making the clothes. So now you see the, the, the box I'm unraveling right now. Um, so so now, your turn is lower than that. So, so now, right, say you're able to do all of that. Say you're able to make all the clothes and do all this stuff and put the 30000 over here and all that. Now you ship them all the stuff, right? But you by you covering all of those bases, you forgot to cover your marketing and your advertising and <laughs> so now they have all these all of this product, but it can't move because you didn't do your due diligence over here. Now, three weeks later, they say, hey, you know the shirts you sent me for $50? They're not moving. We sold two shirts in three weeks. We're cutting everything 50% off. Oh. Right? They cut it 50% off. 
then say it still doesn't move, right? So now you may have sent them two, three hundred thousand dollars worth of product. They might have sold ten thousand dollars worth. They send that whole all that product back to you on your dime. So you have to ship it to get into them and send a label to ship it to come back to you if it doesn't sell. So now that $300,000 that you thought you made, you didn't make, you only made 10. So it's a, it's a lot of, that's why I said show is this big and business is so, so huge because there's so much that people don't understand behind the scenes on how to keep, you know, keep this thing going the right way. And turning the money, which is the most important life, the cash flow of the business, one of the th most important life of the of the business. Yeah, being disciplined as well. You know, some people may go out and, and make a whole lot of money really quick and then be like, wow, just we just made eighty thousand. Let's go to strip club tonight. No, you have to be disciplined. You have to take that money and put it back into the business and do what you need to do to keep it going and keep it turning. And a lot of people fall short of that. Go ahead, Ari. And that was that was awesome. I think that was real experience for our listeners. Um, but you know, let's build on that. What advice do you have for small businesses, especially in COVID, that are thinking of quitting and closing? Um, you know, my advice now is to just pivot. You know, um, you know, when this whole COVID thing came up and 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 presented itself, uh, we were sitting there like. You know, I, I had I had such a great rollout this year. You know, we had eyewear coming out. We had we just opened up our European license. We just opened up our South African license. We were working on our United Emirates license. Um, but then I had uh, a high end uh, kids line coming out. Um, we had suits. We had suits out. Our watches had just launched. So I was like, oh, oh wow, this is going to be a great year. You know, people have been saying, hey, when are you guys coming back? And when are you doing this? When are you doing that? And now it was like, you want to know when we're coming back? We got it right now. We got the rollout for you. So when all of this happened um, back in March, you know, the beginning of March, I was like, oh, wow, we did all of this work. And now what's going to happen to the to, to the brand, well, number one? What's going to happen to all the people we were working with to get this, you know, take us to the next level? Um you know, what's going to happen. Like everything was, un we were unsure about everything at that point. So after sitting home for about 20, 20 days, I said to myself, okay, can't feel sorry for myself. I can't, you know, be worried about what if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? Let me figure out what I can do now to pivot, to see how I can, you know, since I have time on my hands, let me figure out <laughs> some other things that I can do. So I wound up figuring out a little method that started to work for me on social media. I kept doing it, kept doing it. And it, it started working. I said, okay, cool. That's working. And then 30 days after that, I looked at the numbers on my clothing. The numbers were up like 80%. You know, I guess oh, wow. I take it. Everybody was home. They wanted to buy clothes and, you know, not necessarily going anywhere, but they started to really buy the clothes on the radio side. I was up 20%. So, and this is just like, April of, of this year. So I was like, wow. So then that kind of gave me a different fire within to say, okay, something is working. Let me tap into this now. And I tapped into that and I was able to 
salvage what we had and, and started to build things up because I pivoted at a, at a crucial time and not sat there and just, you know, even, even the relationships that I had, I took them, I told them, I said, listen, I know we had this contract. Um, I know that in a few months you're supposed to do this and that that's not going to happen. I don't want to kill the, 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 the relationship with you because this is not your fault. So let's extend this a little you know, a little bit, maybe six months, maybe nine months out. And I'd rather deal with you coming into 2021 on a different, you know, on a different high as opposed yeah. to severing this relationship with you because this happened and now I have to go out and find another you who may not be <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So they might not have the same, you know, um, same goals that you have with us. So, you know, let's just push it off to the side. But in this time, is this really is this really about pivoting, man? Like, you know, um, it's 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 a lot of a lot of uncertainty out there. So you you kind of you know, especially the last six months and what the hell was going on in, in in you know in the White House. But you know, everything was all over the place. But you just gotta figure it out. And, and some people have businesses who will make it and some small businesses won't make it. It's just the, the you know, that's just the, what's going to happen because, you know, depending on your field or where you're at, you know, you may, you know, like restaurants If nobody's going out to restaurants and eating, it's hard to, to survive. You know, me being that I'm digital, it's a little better for me because, you know, when this all happened, we were all able to go home set up our home bases and then just continue to work and continue to put out product and content. So, um, but for small businesses, you know, you just gotta, you gotta ride it out and you gotta pivot and you gotta know when you gotta know when to hold them and you gotta know when to fold. Let them, it go. You know, go ahead, Harry, take us out. Well, it's time to fold them from fold them. Um, thanks to my fellow honorary brother, Phi Beta Sigma fraternity incorporated. Look forward to seeing you at the conclave Oh, yeah. where you have a prominent role and also down here in Tampa. We won't be seeing my, my New York football giants, but somebody will be there. <laughs> I see I see you guys soon, man. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you so much, Keith. Merry Christmas, brother. Yeah, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and all that good stuff, man. Likewise, likewise. It was the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief and our guest, Keith Perry. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief be sure to join chief alex morales and ambassador harry thomas again next wednesday at 10 a.m pacific time and 1 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel we'll talk again next week